Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. In this episode, we partner with the Exponential Conference and host a five-part webinar titled Mobilizing Missional Disciples. This episode is titled Reimagine, Planting New Expressions of the Church Led by Everyday People. Hello, everyone. We are so glad that you're joining us for this webinar. My name is Beth Wolf, and I am a pastor of a church in Clarksburg, Maryland, but I'm also a part of the teaching team for Forge America. And it's in that capacity that I have the opportunity um, to be with you today. If you'd like to find out more about Forge America, you can go to forgeamerica.com. We are actually a organization um, and a network that helps and equips um, pastors and pioneers in order to equip the people of God for the everyday mission of God in the places that they live, work, and play. And so again, that's what we are all about. We've been here for the past several weeks talking about what does it look like to reimagine the mission of God to mobilize missional disciples in the places that they live, work, and play. It's been a great journey, and today is our last piece of that puzzle, which is honestly my favorite part of the conversation because we get to talk about imagining a new way of, of doing this, imagining what does it look like when we take all of those principles that we've talked about before, and uh, and what do they all add up to after years of being at it and, and crafting it and going after what God has called us. So today we're talking about reimagining. Um, what does it look like to plant new expressions of the church that are led by everyday people that essentially cost $0, <laughs> which um, is really, really great. We are going to be looking at um, some fresh uh, and dynamic expressions of the church that live out these new paradigms that seek justice, that mobilize missionaries. Um, and the reality is, is those sorts of expressions are popping up all over the place, like all across the country. And the problem is, is that typically they're small expressions. And so they aren't often given the credit um, and the credence that they deserve. Um, they don't give the, they're not given the main platform to talk about these things that are happening and because they're much smaller. And so today we have the opportunity to hear from two planters and pioneers um, that are living these expressions that are embodying these expressions that are, that are, um, finding new ways to do church. And so I'm so glad to be joined by Laura Hairston and Drew Thurman. Um, we get to hear a little bit about their unique expressions of the church um, that are led by everyday people. Um, and so I am really, really excited about this. So we're going to start by just um, creating some space for Laura and Drew to introduce themselves. Um, who wants to go first? Laura, do you want to go first? Drew? Drew. <laughs> Drew, can you go first by just take a moment to introduce yourself? Um, what are you up to? What um, uh, what are you up to right now? Uh, sort of where are you at? Sort of the context that you're in. Yeah, I was going to have Laura go first. So thank you. So, um, <laughs> I yeah, want uh, yeah, yeah, you beat me to it. Um, yeah, my name is Drew and I am part of the team at Renaissance. We are kind of a family of micro churches around the greater Boston area. And uh, really, honestly, um, I'm still very much a learner. I feel like it's just become a th renaissance is really in the last six, eight months really feels like it's become a thing. It was this hypothetical thing that we were talking about a lot. Um, but about three and a half years ago, we moved here, we relocated. I'd done um, mega church ministry for uh, about 10 years and had some great um, friendships and some great experiences, but started to have a little bit of a crisis of effectiveness about some of the things that were going on. And uh, my role in that never wanted to plant a church, but uh, God had other plans. And actually it was Laura and Ryan um, and the forge team that we tapped their shoulders when we were moving here, helped us live as missionaries for our first year and get a micro church off the ground. And uh, we have been slowly kind of becoming a hub, helping to uh, empower, equip and sustain other micro churches around the area. So that's a little bit of who I am. I'm married and have two little girls as well. And uh, yeah, we are actually in the neighborhood of Waltham. If there's anybody who's watching who knows Boston really well, Bostonians will tell you, I'm not actually in Boston. I'm in Waltham. So it's a big deal. You got to know the difference. And I want to say, I know the difference. <laughs> All right, Laura, what about you? All right. Well, my name's Laura. I am living in New York City with my husband, Brian, and our three girls. 
and they just started school last week. So hallelujah. Let me just say that everybody's out of my apartment. Um, <laughs> like everybody, even my husband, I mean, you, I, I just sat in silence for like 10 minutes, just like, I've never heard this in like the last 18 months. Um, so I have a few roles. One is locally. I am on staff with Hope Midtown. I uh, started that in January and um, more is just really trying to get this missional culture um, off the ground and just trying to say like, what does this look like for us to really mobilize our people and equip them to live this out um, in the spaces they do live, work, and play. And so that's what I'm doing Locally, I also am executive director for an organization called Movement Leaders Collective, which we are a catalyst for movement leadership and a community for movement leaders and just trying to say, what does it look like to catalyze movement around, if you read The Forgotten Ways, these six components of movement dynamics. And um, so, yeah, that's the other role I play. Um, yeah, I feel like there's probably more, but that's enough for today. That's good. That's good. Um, and I love having this again. I love having this conversation with you guys. Cause you're living this, you're doing this. It's not just a theoretical practitioner. You haven't just written a book, um, and then sat back and said, well, that's enough. I'm done. Uh, this is your everyday life that you are, um, cr- where you're crafting and cultivating. How do we, how do we really, really do this? So I, again, I'm so glad that we have you guys, um, sharing with us what you've learned. Um, so speaking of what you've learned, I'd love to just ask the question that we started with all of our guests, which is, um, as you think about this past year and everything that has happened with COVID and the long overdue reckoning with uh, racial justice, what is it that you see from your perspective? What is it that you sense that has been uncovered or exposed in the church? Mm, Laura, gets to get, Laura gets to go first this time. <laughs> awesome. On the big one. Okay. Um, Oh my goodness. It's really interesting. I was just having this conversation yesterday with um, a group of women actually that are going through a missional discipleship course that we started last night. Um, But just talking about, I think early on and especially in the pandemic, it seemed like, I mean, after pastors were reeling a bit, it was a, this is a time like God is doing something like tilling the soil, if you will, and exposing some things that, we've made priority and platform that are not priority and platform. Um, And I was really, I mean, even in the midst of pain and just so much devastation um, in all of those areas you mentioned, I think there was a, I don't know, there was a hope that maybe this is something that's going to launch the church towards new. And actually it's not even new. It's just, it's uncovering what, was originally started. And so even in our, you know, the, the term deconstruction is being, um, it's just, it's, it's all around right now. Um, but I think it is just going like how we've learned things. What does it look like for us to unlearn some of those things, um, to have these metanoia moments, if you will, Alan talks often about this so that we can, you know, journey up and have new practices and new rhythms. And so I was really excited for that. And I, I, I know it's happening in some spaces, but I will say the drift to go back to just what was because it's comfortable and it's easy and what we know. And I do think that everybody has been a bit in survival mode of like, okay, I just need to get my bearings with my family, with my, myself, like what's happening. And so it is hard to step into new spaces and to, to dream and try to innovate some things that are really new. Um, and so I don't know, I, I think I still do have hope. I think what also was like uncovered for me because I'm part of a global movement is that our friends across the seas have been in this. They have Mm -hmm. been living in exile for a very long time. And there is so much that we can learn from them. And so if there's anything that the American church uh, predominantly can do right now is to humble ourselves, become learners of what they are doing, Mm -hmm. because it's here, it's coming. And um, so that, that would be a bit of 
what I'm kind of seeing and sensing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would definitely echo that. I think you've, yeah, took a lot of the words out of my mouth. I agree a hundred percent. And one, I think we definitely have a discipleship problem. I think almost all the things that you even asked about Beth kind of come back to discipleship. I think we've, should be looking around and saying, we've been really good at informing people, but not forming them, mm-hmm. uh, really good at inspiring them, but not necessarily helping them just totally uh, adopt the reign and rule of God in, in their everyday life. And so um, because of that, we see a lot of people who don't look and act like Jesus, who are claiming the name of Christ. Uh, it's, it's hurting us in a lot, of, a lot of realms. But then secondarily, I think picking up on what Laura was saying, I personally sense a major difference in how everyday Christians and clergy are processing what's going on. And some everyday Christians are more just evaluating, like, can I just sit at home? You know, what, what role does church play for me? But I think there's a lot of others that are saying, I, I really don't want to drive 20 minutes to just volunteer. I want all in. And I think it like has dawned on a lot of people, like they've started to evaluate who are really trying to, to champion uh, the reign and rule of Christ um, started to ask big questions. And in fact, I can at least speak for Renaissance. Uh, we grew during this pandemic because we had a number of people come to us and say, you know, didn't even know what to call it, but Hey, we stopped going to our church and we joined another couple and we're trying to start a house church in our neighborhood and we just need help. Um, which is really exciting and really cool. And so then we just get to give like language to that and, and help them connect the dots. But on the flip side, I think like Laura said, I think there's a lot of clergy who it, it was merely a distraction. They just want to get back to doing what they do. And I've often thought about during this pandemic, a few years ago, I was speaking at a Christian university that had recently stopped just having Bible degrees and ministry degrees. And it opened up to some secular degrees and non-ministry degrees and started giving scholarships to athletes. And I spoke at their chapel about like rediscovering the mission of God, the Missio Dei. I had two girls come up to me afterwards in tears who had given their life to Christ at campus. They were in those non-ministry degrees and it said, none of the ministry students want to hang out with us. In fact, there's this rift on campus. The ministry kids are mad that this, this school has now opened up to non-ministry degree people and to, to students that are doing things they don't approve of that are, um, you know, a scholarship athlete or whatever else. And it just ripped my heart out. Like here, these are the people that are getting ready to go preach and teach and plan programs and lead worship and proclaim that God loves lost people, uh, broken, messy people. And when God delivered those kind of people on their doorstep as they're training for ministry, Uh, they're mad. They view that distraction as an annoyance and didn't want any part to do with it. And I thought, I've thought about that because I think not to make light of the pandemic, but I think in many ways, this has been an opportunity God has handed us to reevaluate. And I think there's a lot of us, uh, if we're being honest, um, we love what, what we get to do more than the people God has called us to love. And so we just want to get back to how do I preach? How do I teach? How do I plan programs? How do I produce a service more than saying, you know what, maybe God's calling me to a messier journey um, to empower everyday people uh, to live in the spaces that he's called them to. So, you know, I think that's being uncovered and I'm hoping um, more ministry, like, like Laura said, they don't just jump back to what was familiar, but they really do sit in kind of this liminal space uh, that the pandemics allowed us to, to live in. Okay. So I have this question. First of all, I loved that expression, that expression that you, um, used drew to say, we've been informing people, not forming them. And I, I think that that's beautiful. Um, but I, but I really want to get at sort of your, the, the difference between your expressions, how you're living, how you're incarnating, how you see your mission ministry playing out. And, and how would you compare that to sort of a traditional church space? So, so what's the difference between what you do at Hope or what you do at We Are Renaissance at Renaissance and, and what you would say like, hey, this is really, this is the core difference between the two of these things. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually, I, I feel like I have a foot in both worlds. So um, I think I have really interesting perspective. Um, when, when Ryan and I first jumped into all of this, oh gosh, I think it was probably like 12 years ago and just really had this paradigm shift and we're standing in our neighborhood going, 
we don't know any of our neighbors and we are jumping over them every Sunday. And yes, we were working at a church, but we had no friends who were not yet Christ followers. And that was a huge awakening for us and started that our journey towards we were sent there. What does this look like? How do I develop practices and all these things? Um, and as we all do, it's very human. As we step into new paradigms, we will, you know, swing all the way over until we start to find our way a little bit back to the, the center. And I think, you know, early on, we probably would have thrown stones a little bit at the, you're doing worship on a stage, you know, like, I mean, it was, you know, and that's not, you know, our heartbeat now, but it is to find that space of like, what is good in some of just the, the programs or in the, like, it is important to gather. It's important to gather to, to worship together, to share the stories, to be equipped, to go back out. And I think for me, that's probably more of, which I love, love, love about Hope Midtown. I was just like raving about Drew Hyun um, last night to Ryan. I was like his posture, his generosity, his humility um, to just be, I mean, yes, we have a service, but it's, and we have really great people you know, on stage leading worship and things like that, but it, that's not our primary focus okay. of the week, you know, and yes, we'll do it well, but that's not where all of our resources and time are going to go. It's what's happening in the week. How are we forming people? And so we have started a missional discipleship course and emotionally healthy and different things like that. And so I would say that that's my kind of role there, but um, we're also part of a missional community that. Brooklyn Colburn has started in our neighborhood. And so we're seeing that. And the difference is there's really not a program. I mean, we have some like practices. I feel like it's more practice-based um, there in that space. And we use bells, you know, blessing, eating, listening, learning, and living scent. And so walking through that in that mission piece. Um, so I feel like it's more like it is you know, over here, it's more program driven and it's not led by everyday people, even though the people on stage would have the humility and heart of everyday people. Um, they're not seeking platform, but over here it is everyday people. Um, yeah, just in more practice based and a bit more organic than structured plan. Great. I love that articulation of like, hey, yes, there are still, because I think when we get into this conversation, there's always the thought of like, let's blow the whole ship up and let's just say no more Sunday morning meeting. It can't happen. And you're saying, no, 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 we, There are still that, there are valuable pieces to that, but there's a reality that there's also a shift that has to take place where people have to begin to own their own responsibility for being missional in the spaces that God has put them. And so perhaps a helpful thing for, you know, it sounds like uh, mature leaders who are leading this process is to give practices. Hey, it's not this program, but how can you practice this thing in the spaces that you live? So that's really good. Drew, do you want to add something to that? No, I, yeah, I think that's, that's awesome. And I think one of the things, you know, I, I get to be a part of Forge Boston as well, our hub and get to, train, you know, and hang out with ministers across paradigms. And that's always one of the things we say is we don't want to, not everybody needs to do what we're doing, like exactly our paradigm. We're just trying to get you to lean in. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you are a large attractional church. How can you start some missional expressions underneath that umbrella? Maybe release some of your, your apostles, your evangelists to go and pioneer new things while simultaneously still doing some of the things that you're doing. Yeah. You don't need to blow it all up. And um, I love Alan always gets, every time I've been around him, he always gets upset when people have a, I read your book and I blew up my church story. Cause he was like, well, you're not reading, you're not reading my, my literature. Right. But I would say very similar. We, I mean, we're a little bit more on the pioneering side of the um, kind of the spectrum, but we worship corporately once a month. So we bring all of our micro churches together and yeah, we, it, it, you know, it's, uh, not all exactly the same as a normal worship service, but it looks very familiar for most people. We do children's programming, we eat together afterward. And so, yeah, we believe in that very much as well. But I would say, yeah, in our micro churches, it is very much about formation and about rhythms. We believe, um, I think there's kind of been a big move to this in the church. And I think it's a great thing that habits form us more than new information. Yeah. And so whatever, whatever, 
uh, your missional rule of life or your communal rule of life is. And I think it's going to look different for people in different spaces, but that you have to adopt one, um, knowing that that's, that's where, where people start to really get formed and not just informed, and especially communally, that needs to take place with, with other people for the long haul. And so, yeah, we, we have, you know, some rhythms as well. I mean, my microchurch and seasons have used surprise the world stuff as well, but we talk a lot about uh, based off of Dan White Jr. and J.R. Woodward, their book, Church's Movement, kind of three spaces of communion, community commission, or up and out. And so we have uh, really helped our microchurch leaders. It's not a one-size-fits-all, but we work with them to say, what does it look like to adopt a rule of life in each of those and evaluate um, you know, are, are we helping disciple our people up? Are we worshiping God together? Are we living as a, as a spiritual family, so to speak? Are we living into those 59 one another commands that we read about in the new Testament? And are, are we on mission together, um, tangibly, um, and, and together communally? So very, very similar to her, but just, we look a little bit, a little bit more pioneering in our, in our bend. That's great. Now, just to catch everybody up, both of you have referenced Michael Frost's Michael Frost's Bells, and it's actually from a book called Surprise the World. And the Bells acronym is B is is sort of this idea of like what are you in? It's a rule of life of what are you inviting people into. So B is bless others. So he uh, says, hey, our rule of life is going to be that we're going to bless somebody inside of our congregation, somebody outside, and then the third person is whoever you want. Every week, three people bless others, eat with others three times a week. One person inside the church, one person outside, and one is whoever. Um, listen to the Holy Spirit. Learn about. Christ and be sent into all the places so that you live, work, and play, proclaiming and demonstrating that the kingdom of God is here. Again, um, if that's new to you, Surprise the World is a great resource for you to check out, but I do want to encourage you that it's not the only way to articulate and think about a rule of life. I know that there are other churches and other missional expressions that have said, hey, uh, that's a great idea, but ours isn't going to be bless, eat, listen, learn, sent. Instead, ours is going to be... Um, uh, oh, there's one that is, uh, what's that? There's bless. Um, somebody else has light. Uh, I think it's good for them to contextualize prayer. it. Yeah. Yes. There's one. Yeah. It's really important. There's one that's like uh prayer and it's about peace. Shoot. I'm not going to remember what it is, but, but there are multiples of them. So in, in coming up with this, um, there's one, um, pray, give, invite, mentor, and serve, which actually isn't a great acronym. It's PIGMAS, but like, that's fine. Um, and so, um, but the concept is this idea of how do we give people these practical tools instead of it being like, hey, your path to discipleship are take this program and this class and this thing. The path to discipleship is something that you own on your own. It's a rule of life that you continue to invest in and engage in. Um, so guys, one of the questions that I really wanted to talk about in this whole thing is, uh, Drew, at the very end, you mentioned this idea of how um, it's different based on your contextualization. So Laura, you kind of talked about, hey, we meet every week. Drew, you said once a month. Both of you are sort of also instilling this idea of these practices of um, community um, and service and communion together. And so... How, how did you decide, looking at your specific local context, how did you decide what your expression was supposed to do? Yeah, and I know a, that that's a really yeah. long process of discernment, but, but even if you could just give us a glimpse so that people listening could kind of start to get an idea of what they should be listening to, what they're looking for. Yeah, I mean, at least for me, I as I was starting from scratch, I called lots of church planters around my city to just be a good learner and uh, heard more failure stories than success stories. And I mean, to give a context, I mean, in our city, if you, if you have a church plant that is sustainable with 80 to hundred people, you've, you've killed it, you know, you've really done well. And so um, I think we just started looking and saying, and even just looking across the map, like, um, there's been a lot of church planting uh, work in Boston over the last 20 years. And I think they're all kind of going after the same slice of pie. I think Alan and Dave um, Ferguson talk about in their book on the verge, the 60, 40 principle about, you know, I think they were all kind of going after the same 40% people that would be open to a Sunday morning 
uh, primary expression of the church. And we said, what about the other 60%? And how do we release people to be, um, as John Rittner says, you know, food truck uh, ambassadors rather than a restaurant-centric, a food truck version of the church. So uh, that's really where we, we started. But still, it's, it was very nebulous. And we just started to say, and I think Forge was great at this. Uh, Ryan was like, don't do anything for a long time. Just live incarnationally. Be a good practitioner first. Um, learn the rhythms and rituals of your city. And then speak from the wealth of knowledge that you gain by doing it, not just in theory. And so the best... Uh, things that we've learned was when we started, it took us like a year and a half just to get one micro church uh, that was somewhat functional uh, working and, uh, and learning as we go. And we're still learning. And then we started to slowly train a few others. And now we're starting to become a, a, a hub resourcing them. And, and we're still pivoting constantly. We say we're tripping forward um, and just kind of trying to figure out uh, week to week, whether the spirit's leading us, but that's, that was our heartbeat of saying, there's some other great church plants and we don't think they're all doing it wrong, but we think there's this, this big space that's wide open and how do we lean into that and have even made decisions and just being conscious of that. Like, well, if we, if we start meeting every week, is there anything that makes us look a lot different than some of the others? Um, you know, just this, just things like that, that help us lean into our context and some of the unique challenges that are here. And I would maybe finally just add to it, like, uh, New England, I'm not sure this is true everywhere. It's a very microcultural place. Mm -hmm. So micro expressions of the church work very well. So you can literally go neighborhood to neighborhood, block to block and experience something totally different. People are very like tribal about their neighborhood where they've picked to live. And so I, that was another thing that just was like, well, this is perfect. So then we're not just trying to have a monolithic experience of the church where we have all these people regionally come to it, but we're rather uh, resourcing people to those individual microcultures to bring the church into that space. That's beautiful. What about you, Laura? What were, what were some of the decisions that you made based on your hyper-local understanding of your community? Yeah, it's really interesting. So I stepped into this role in January and I didn't have a massive plan to be quite honest with you where I'm probably, you know, nine months to a year behind Drew and what they're doing, even in Boston. I mean, incarnationally, just as a practitioner, um, we are very, very incarnated and rooted here um, in our neighborhood. But even as you're talking about micro, um, Drew, I'm thinking like, I mean, I literally just went and bought like an Upper East Side sweatshirt, you know, and it's like, oh, you live on the Upper West Side? Okay. <laughs> you know, like, so it, it is kind of that same, like you, you know, but for me right now, I, cause I'm not apostolic. I'm actually not like evangelist prophet shepherd are my primary. Um, I feel God's calling the apostolic out in me. Um, even the, some of the teacher parts, cause I'm learning, I'm an instinctual leader. I'm not necessarily a conceptual leader. So I'm having to go, I've got to figure out how, what I do, I've got to put it on paper to be able to, you know, or, and it is discipleship. People can walk with me through it, but like, we just started this missional discipleship course. And it's like, I have to put a session guide together based on, you know, and it's like, that is really hard for me. And there's resources out there. You don't always have to, you know, start your own. But for me, I wanted it to be contextual to New York city. Um, so anyways, all of that to say, I am in this like learning journey and I've just, this probably goes back a bit to just what's been exposed. Um, I am having to fight the, what is success? Mm. What is, um, you know, what is God actually calling me to, and to do with who I'm responsible for right now. So it is people at Hope Midtown and it is my neighborhood. And so not everybody at Hope Midtown is going to be excited about this, um, but there will be some early adopters. There will be people that are like, absolutely, or I've already been living this way and you're giving me some language for why yes. and I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so we're just starting there and then hope, you know, that there will be new expressions that are birthed or maybe on the back end, they are walking others through it. And I don't know. I'm just, I feel like I'm just trying to like follow the spirit and just do the next right thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, there are also, there's 
there are house church initiatives that are starting up around here. And there, there's somebody that's kind of been talking, you know, with underground movement too. And so I met with several of them yesterday and I was like, okay, our next step is we need to all get together and we need mm-hmm. to begin, begin praying and just to see what God wants to begin bubbling up under the surface. Because as you mentioned earlier, Beth, like small, these smaller expressions, it is movemental, but it's, it's subversive. And I just think that if there's anything that I have felt God say to me um, is posture, my humility, my generosity, like how I'm leading into this space as a learner, but also just pace. Um, because what we've typically led with is here's our vision and here's like the, all the steps and the plans. And and this is, we have to execute, which I love execution. Um, (laughs) I love plans, but the thing about living as a practitioner is you quickly realize you can't have a plan because you have a plan and it fails or you get in this spot and you're like, I have to troubleshoot. I don't know. Ah!" And I, you know, I would either like be, be paralyzed over fear. Um, I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of times when we were back in um, Texas, we would get the question of, what do you do? We're like, we run a nonprofit. And then it's like, well, what kind of nonprofit? Community development? What kind? You know, and it was just like, oh, please don't ask me if I'm a Christian yet. You know, and <laughs> please don't, I don't want to have to say, you know, that I, that I do this. And Ryan was always so great, but, you know, he's an evangelist. He can quickly contextualize something. So I learned a lot um, from him in that space of just going, well, we just want to help see our neighborhood look more like heaven than earth. And we want to help others do the same, you know? And so of course that started a journey. So I don't, I don't know if that answers your question, Beth. I just feel like we're just on a learning, like, let's just try some things and in that space. So what we've said for our missional discipleship course is I want people to know and be with Jesus. I want them to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, bottom line. And I think, and that's all infused with, and that's formation. That's, you know, and then helping others do that exact same thing. But if we do not come out of this looking more like Jesus, then what are we doing? Right. What are we doing? And so, anyway. I think that one of the things that is so key that you talked about, Laura, was that that helps us distinguish the differences between a traditional church and some of these movemental expressions that are popping up is is really about how you measure them. Well, how do we define success and what does that look like? Um, And so it's so traditionally the success is defined by here are my programs and how many people came to them and what was my retention rate and how many people started giving as a result of that. Right. And and those are important markers and measures to pay attention to. But I think what we've lost is the desire or the ability to measure. Okay. But how many people are looking more like Jesus? Like, is this actually being effective that at the end of this X course, Y course, Z course, that they have actually, they actually are embodying and dwelling with the spirit more fully. And that they are then that, that the places around them that they are uh, dwelling in, working in, playing with, playing in, look more like the kingdom of heaven. Do they or don't they? And I think that if, as a as a as a person who has been a church pastor for a really long time, I would say that so many of the answers to the programs that I've put in place, the answer to that question is, shoot, I was great at getting people there. Like it didn't take a lot of Holy Spirit work in order to attract people to come to this event or this program. Um, But if I'm honest, I don't really know that they looked more like Jesus at the end of it, or even more, even, even, even an additional um, reflection of the fruit that was born are the places that they went to school, the places they worked Mm -hmm. in, the places that they were playing soccer at, the places that they inhabited their neighborhoods, were those more like the kingdom of heaven? And I just, I just don't know that that happened. And so, so much of what we're talking about, even though even some of the pieces might be similar, the huge difference is 
are people looking like Jesus, like measuring it very differently in that way? Um, Drew, I know that you've talked about like the need to kill um, a church planting monster inside of you as you try to wrestle with the issue, like what success looks like. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm for those who follow Enneagram and, and subscribe to it, which I know is not everybody, but uh, I'm a three wing four. And so achiever is uh, is, is, and, and being missional don't necessarily go well together. And so I tell people, yeah, like every day I have a church growth demon. I have to like kill inside of me. Uh, and I was just over here, uh, in my mind, amening Laura as she was talking earlier. Cause I, I feel so much of that. And, uh, it, it really, I, I try to tell people, I don't know the first couple of years were so hard. I don't know that it's gotten easier. I think I've just accepted more what it is. Yes. And I think yeah. I was trying to force um, my, my church growth metrics and my church growth mentality into, into this. And I think a lot of people do. I think micro churches and missional expressions are becoming buzzwords. And that's always my fear mm-hmm. is that people come running to these as the new silver bullet. And I'm just like, I, maybe God will bless you more wildly than he has us, but it, it, I think you're going to be disappointed and uh, <laughs> it's not going to meet all those, those dreams and, and demands because it is really hard work. It's really messy and you have to re reprioritize and see God's beauty and what he's doing in a whole new way. And I know we've, we've already like championed so many books. One of the best things for us, Brad Briscoe has a free ebook called rethink. And there's a whole chapter on rethinking scorecards and I cannot, recommend that PDF enough. Uh, and we actually, with our, our oversight team walked through that. And that was some of the best stuff for us was to start, uh, you know, using relational metrics more. And we started saying, how do we measure the inputs and let God trust God for the outputs? Every church I've ever been a part of only tracked the outputs and said, that's how we know God's moving. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. How do I trust the inputs and just say, as long as I'm continuing to be faithful and trust that God, God's going to do, do the, those other things. And so it's, it is, it is a journey. I don't know if I'm necessarily, again, any better at it. It's just, it's something I recognize in myself and something I have to constantly just lay down as an idol um, that in some ways I want to be popular. I want to be successful. I want people to be able to look and say, look what he's doing and just say, that's, that's not Jesus. Um uh, and that's not necessarily the, the journey God's called me to. And, uh, but again, if there's any other leaders, uh, I, you know, if that's a struggle for you as well, feel free to contact me and, uh, would, I would love to talk with you about some of that. Yeah. Can I just piggyback that too? Yeah, Laura, go ahead. Well, I just was thinking, I, I think, and we, we were talking about this a little bit at our lunch yesterday, you know, and, and, and one woman who's pastor, she's like, you know, they had been doing ministry in New York city for over 10 years. And she said, I looked up and I didn't know one non-Christian in New York city, you know? And she's like, so that's a place to start. If you're a pastor, like Mm -hmm. start there, because the thing that, that then when you start to develop programs and different things, like you have people's faces and you have friendships in mind of what is good news and what is contextual and, and how that could be birthed. Um, in people and in these spaces and places. And I feel like sometimes with our, like, and, you know, Forge often does say, we're not going to give you a method. Like this is, we'll give you some frameworks. We'll give you some practices, but this is your discovery with the Holy Spirit to see what it truly looks like to live as Jesus in that space. And, um, two, just as you're saying resources, Drew, um, I, if, especially if you are, and then you're actually, anybody should read this, not just if you're in New York city, but, um, Jose Humphreys wrote a book called seeing Jesus in East Harlem. Amazing. Um, and then there's a book called the ministry of ordinary places by Shannon Martin, um, of just being able to go, I am stepping out of my apartment today. Where is God working and how can I join him there? I'm trying to look up the link for the book. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Actually, that book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, so funny. It's been sitting on my bookshelf and I, uh, it's been like, you know, you, you order like six books and then you're like, and I'm going to get to that one and I'm going to get to that one. So I'm going to have to put that at the front of them. Yeah, go get it. In front of the line there. That's Um, That's so great. And I, and I think that 
what is so challenging is uh, it does, Laura, at some point you said this, it comes back to posture. So many of these things are not living different ways, doing missional discipleship versus just regular discipleship or whatever. If you can create a distinction between those is about this posture rather than the program. It's about digging deep enough and unearthing and saying, no, 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 we're just going to, we're going to move, not move away. I mean, programs are fine, but like, we're, we're going to let that go for a second and just really unearth what is our posture in this thing? What does this look like? Um, I know that I had the same experience that we used to, um, I used to pastor at a church in Phoenix and we went and we were there for seven years and we went back to visit and, uh, to see all the places and all the things like my girls had grown up there, you know, this whole thing. And, uh, we went to visit the church and then we were like, okay, where next? Hmm. Nothing because we had absolutely no connection to that literal space, the local space of that place. It was just the church. And I, and I think about now I've been at my current context for five years. And if we were to move away, this is really bad. I hope nobody from my congregation is listening, (laughs) but like, if we were to move away, There'd be some degree to which like I would want to go see the, the church building, but so much of our life is mm-hmm. elsewhere in mm-hmm. terms of our connections being at the um, this local restaurant that we inhabit a lot at our local elementary school, at my girls' middle school, like all of these other places at our friend's house who have no connection to the church that we've begun to invest in. And I just think like, I just think about, the incredible shift and posture that changes when you begin to instead program everything for people to come to your church building and instead program program equip other everyone to go out from the church building and actually live in the sent spaces that that God has placed them um and uh, in those spaces that where God is 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 active and He's living and He's vibrant because God is always present in those dark God-forsaken spaces where you think nobody's there, like God's not there. Yes, He is. He's alive and present. Hey guys, we have this question, and I don't know if you can answer it. Um, uh, there's a question about statistics, and they said, "What percentage of, of overall churches in your area are?" Ex- Expressing church in new and innovative ways. So that's part one. What percentage are doing the sort of thing that we're talking about? What percentage are more traditional doing the rest of it? And then what percentage of traditional churches are excited about adopting new expressions? Do you even have like, I'm sure there's not hard data on that, but even if you could guess. Oh, I'm awful at statistics. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you. Five. Five. I can tell you based on a pastor's lunch yesterday where there was probably, I don't know, 20 something. Um, there were one, two, three, four, there were five of us, uh, well, maybe six that are actively living in this, like in our spaces. Um, there's a few that are starting house church initiatives. Um, there's probably a fourth of that, that are more traditional and are a little skeptical, quite frankly, because I mean, New York city, like, and we're still, I mean, we're three and a half years in, but you know, the question was how far is anybody into this? Like, what's, what's the success? Like, what's the, like Mm. you talked earlier, like the silver bullet. And that was the exact conversation I had with a girl right afterwards. It was like, it feels like everybody's just asking for that, like that thing. And to me, the beautiful thing about having all of these different expressions is that there will be people, even with a more traditional based church, there will be people that come to know Jesus. And so that's where I feel like we can't, we need to be about, this is all church. And and so what I feel like we're trying to do. um, So even on a Sunday morning, once a month at Hope Midtown, we're having what we're calling an all church community lunch, meaning if you have a house church, if you have a micro church, you have a dinner church, whatever church, you know, one, we are honoring that as you have 
a church. And that is just as important as what's happening here on Sunday morning. We also want to make sure that our medium is our message and our language backs that up. And so to be able to say, we're going to all come together, like we are all the church. And so even on a Sunday morning, if I'm sitting on Zoom church, which we do it like this, and there's the boxes, um, or I'm in person hosting, we say, hey, just so you know, like there are different expressions of church happening even today and all throughout this week. You know, we are one church, but we are multiple expressions. And so the thing that I would encourage more traditional churches is to say, hey, what can you learn from people that are pioneering, that are trying new things? It doesn't mean that, you know, this is the way but I would also say people that are pioneering things, again, remember, you will make a huge shift. So be careful in your language, be careful in your posture, because there's still something that we can learn over here too. So we have to have a both and we have to think if it's kingdom right. and God's working in those spaces, then let's honor that. Um, so I don't know if that answered it. I'm sorry, I can't give statistics, but. Yeah, I, I would echo. I can't give statistics. I know of, yeah, same from just having a pulse on around the city. I think there's a, a few different um, kind of missional expression, pioneering entities happening. Um, but, you know, New England and Boston is kind of very unique. You have um, kind of very old guard, tra very traditional churches. Yeah. Um, and then you have in the last 15, 20 years, just a lot of um, church planting endeavors that I would say are just very, you know, doing some good things, very Sunday morning centric uh, I would actually say of those through Forge Boston, I get to work with more of some more traditional churches that are actually looking around and starting to pivot. And it's really exciting. It's the same conversation Laura's having, like saying, hey, there's still some good things you're doing, but how do you, how do you just lean into mission? How can you equip and empower some more people, lean into an Ephesian 4 mentality of ministry where you start using your gifts to let everyone else do the ministry, to build and equip them to do the ministry? Um, where they, where they're at. And so uh, there is some really exciting things that are starting to happen there. And I can only speak from Renaissance. It's been really cool. Uh, we've actually are trying to forge partnerships with several existing churches. And in fact, we have an old congregational church that's hosting our monthly gathering coming up in November and uh, for free, which is really awesome. Um, and they're going to invite some of their early adopters in and say, hey, guess what? There are actually some micro churches and some really cool pioneering uh, initiatives that are happening in our region. And we want you to know that some of this is happening and inspire them. Uh, and in fact, they would, they've even said, we'd love to, if there's some work that they're doing, we'd love to help finance some of that work and get it off the wow. ground. And then simultaneously, we're getting to get hosted in a space that we don't have to pay rent for, for our gathering. So it's really cool. I think there's some collaboration opportunities like that too, that exist. Um, but again, I would say, more exist like long-term existing churches have been more open to that because I think they've been here long enough to say we've seen a lot of things come and go and we're realizing more than ever we really need to lean into mission um so yeah but again not a percentage but there are some cool things happening I will say really quick off the back of that when we first moved to New York City the amount of people that told us like that will never work here um I, yeah, I mean, coming even from Texas, where we first kind of started into that and really living intentionally in our neighborhood, the church that we had been at, I mean, we were pretty much like the prophet in our own hometown. I mean, it was like, yeah. you are dead to us, you know, and because it, I think because it felt competing and quite frankly, we probably had a posture of like, this is it, you know? And so that's where I, again, I would just encourage people, but just you have to just try some things like, and quite frankly, because of living as just practitioners in our neighborhood, like people are really open um, just to community. They're open to relationship, especially after pandemic, people are lonely. There are so many young singles here in the city and being a family, of course, they're like, can we come hang out with you? You know? And so yeah. anyway, yeah. I, I would, I would say too, real quickly that, I do think there's a move of millennials and Gen Zers that are a lot more open to this. Mm -hmm. And so I do think the church needs to be like, understand if you've not read the book, new power, I think it's a great introduction to the conversation. Uh, 
and, and that's, it's not good or bad. It's just the reality mm-hmm. that I think millennials and Gen Zers are not wanting to operate in the same spaces and some of the institutions and structures that boomers and Gen Zers, uh, Gen Xers created. And so I, I do, I am talking to more and more millennials and Gen Zers that are open to missional expressions of the church. And so I, I do think that that percentage is, is climbing up everywhere. And those are conversations I get to have all over the country. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I, um, I think that just to, just to that question that we had, just to tag one more thing on that. Um, in my particular context, I would say that, um, and I'm connected with a lot of the other churches in our area, Um, I would say that when I start talking about these things, most churches say, oh no, we did missional. That's often what I get. Um, we did missional. And when they say we did missional, what they mean is we did a missional small group series. We did a missional preaching series. We, we did that, but, but by and large, they haven't really, it's that posture piece that hasn't really shifted. Um, and so that's always, um, you know, that's always a hard thing to, to be like, yes, I'm sure you did. (laughs) Um, but, but a great advice. Ryan actually told me, Ryan actually told me, he said, Hey, just tell a different story. Just start telling the stories of what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I love, I love to then offer like, Hey, yeah, this is, this is what we're seeing in our church. And this is what's happening out of, as a result of us, um, trying to pioneer these new ways of, of being missional. Um, and typically their response is wait, our, we didn't see that out of our sermon series. And that can sort of start to create a conversation about that. We're actually talking about something different, um, that it's not just a sermon series. It's not just a programmatic small group shift. Um, okay. So, uh, we're coming to the end. So I want to ask this last question, which is, um, this is really hard work. We've said that over and over again, you got to kill that monster every day that says, Hey, how do you measure success? And you should, um, measure it this particular way about size of your group and all that stuff. Um, and it takes a really long time. It's not a silver bullet. It's really slow. So in this process that can be very tedious and taxing, what gives you hope? Hmm. I mean, I think, uh, for me, I, I, like my story, I didn't really go into this, but really what, what drew me here was, I was a teaching minister and an executive, and I can't tell you how many times I would get done preaching and I'd be in the lobby and someone, you know, I'd have people say stuff like, I wish I had your faith mm-hmm. or, you know, they, they would, you know, say things in that realm. Like um, they'd attributed a faith journey for me because they saw me on a platform and I always would chuckle and be like, you know, you need to talk to my wife. There's nothing special about me or, you know, how heartbreaking sometimes like, I'm not sure I was in the word of God at all this week, besides planning mm-hmm. this sermon. And I can get up and passionately, you know, talk, you know, even, you know, whatever, you know, just as a communicator. And I think one of the things that, and I, and I have constantly come back to is that I wanted everyone to realize that God has uh, a latent missional dream, a latent God dream in, in the heart of every single believer uh, that there's nothing that, you know, kind of to crash that clergy lady divide. There's nothing special about me just because I have a degree and I can articulate some things that you can't just because of that degree. And that is what, when, when it's tough, what I get up every morning, that is my inspiration. Mm-hmm. I want every single person to be able to articulate their, their missional call. I want every single person to realize that they get to play. This is a, this is not a clergy only sport. And so what gives me hope is I think that's been what we're trying to do. I, you know, I could, I could stop and talk about all the different micro church leaders already that are a part of what we're doing and how much risk they've taken on and how much courage they live with, how much they've given up the easy way to just sit in once, once, uh, once a week or once, you know, a couple of times a month in a church service and are living this thing out and are really giving it a go. They look like Jesus, like we talked about, that's what gives me hope. And so, I, I even like, we just actually started gathering in person a couple of months ago. I looked around, I just started crying. Cause I was like, like knowing everybody's story and the cost of discipleship to get them to that point and to worship felt different for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Like these are all people that I'm in the trenches with that are, are people that are all in. And I think that's what inspires me now is 
that's not theory anymore. That was a desire, but I'm seeing it happen. And I'm seeing ordinary everyday people say, uh, no, like God has a dream for my life too. And I don't want to just be a volunteer in somebody else's. I want to, I want to step in and see God use me, uh, in that Ephesians two, nine and 10, you know, the, the works that he's planned for me long ago and kind of to be this priesthood of all believers. And I actually think that's coming, whether or not everybody's ready for it or not. I think there is a new wave. There's something bubbling underneath the surface all over our country where I think more and more people are feeling uh, the permission to do that. And I think what the church looks like in 20 or 30 years is going to look totally different because we're going to see all kinds of people stepping into what God's called them to. And hopefully our neighborhoods and our, our communities are going to look more like heaven than earth, like we said, because of it. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Amen. We should just end there. <laughs> Um, but you know what, Drew, I am very similar, um, in my answer of just, I, I was the person, you know, sitting in the seats of the pews. Um, I grew up in church. I worked for churches and literally until I was 28 years old, I did not know one non-Christian or that I was like actually sharing life with and friends with. Um, and so everything, and I actually don't have a theology degree, um, I almost have my MBA though. Whoop, whoop. Um, yeah. So, um, but you know, so even coming on something like this, I immediately feel like, Oh, what do I have to offer? But you know what it is? I can tell you, I was that person in those pews. I was being formed, but just internally, you know, it wasn't like this, oh, wow, like I actually get to join God in his redemptive purposes in the world. I actually didn't even know that that was God's mission. You know, I thought it was just like, it's just to get me to heaven instead of bringing heaven to earth and that I got to participate in that space. And, you know, I remember us leaving the church and or leaving our roles at that um, particular church in Texas. And the lady that was the missions director probably as months later, we met with her and she's like, why did you guys not do mission stuff here? You know, why did you not like come serve and do whatever? And I was like, number one, I think we didn't have time. I mean, like we were running programs at this very large attractional church. Um, number two, my identity and the way I saw how God had said, you are sent into these spaces, like just as the father sent me, I am sending you. I had never heard that. Yeah. I'd been in church for so long. I remember almost being like mad, like, why did nobody tell me this? It was straight. I mean, I went to evangelism explosion classes when I was in eighth grade um, to get me ready for a beach trip that they, and you know, I was terrified that you're talking about, I'm an Enneagram one. So I am all about like, you know, making things right, but I want to do it right. You know what I mean? It's like, so I was like, I'm going to miss the verse and I'm not going to be able to, and I'm tiny y'all. Like I am five one and I, they just like threw me on a beach and I'm supposed to go talk to all these people. Number one, I'm not wired that way. I'm a relational person. Um, and two, I didn't, you know, I, I, the pictures and all the things. So it was either like, I need to invite them to church or just evangelize. There's so much in between that I didn't even know existed. And yeah. so for me, I want to see everyday people feel this life again, like that following Jesus is new every day. And yeah, it's hard. I've had a lot of heartbreak and a lot of tears over, you know, and like, but I have seen people that like, I started journeying with early on that I was like, oh, there's no way that they're ever going to even want anything to do with Jesus come to follow Jesus. And so like, and I'm an everyday person didn't go to, you know, I got a D in old Testament. If that tells you anything. Okay. <laughs> I think I got to see a new Testament. So, <laughs> but um, that was partly because I took naps during the class. But what I'm saying is, is like, now I'm feeling this life and I feel like I know Jesus. And I feel like those that I'm around the minute they ask me about it, I can, I mean, it makes sense because I've demonstrated it, you know, as I'm alerting. So I, yeah, that's why I get excited about. 
I love it. I, I, yeah, same thing been in it for years and until started walking this out, um, now look back and realize I didn't know what I was talking about before. (laughs) I didn't, the life that Jesus talks about, I didn't, I didn't have it yet. I mean, I was saved. I believe that, but like, I, I didn't experience it to the full until you begin to demonstrate this in your everyday life until you really begin to embrace it and everything. Guys, I'm so thankful. I believe this was a really rich conversation and and I'm so grateful for the two of you taking an hour out um, and sharing sort of what's going on with you. To everybody else, thank you for taking time out as well. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America longs to see the reign of God revealed in the everyday spaces of life. To do this, we partner with local movements to mobilize the people of God to participate in the everyday mission of God. If you'd like to know more about Forge America, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.